0: There is hope ahead. Even though you must endure many trials, there's hope. Trials are hard, but they show you that your faith is real. Your faith is being forged as fire tests and purifies gold. Your faith, more precious than gold, is being forged through these trials so that at the coming of Jesus Christ, greater praise, glory, and honor will be given to him. There is hope in trials, for in every trial, your faith is being forged. Well, good morning, church. Is that that hour of sleep you lost? Yes, thank you. Well, good morning, church. Are you fired up for God's word? If you are, say yes. There we go. Come on. We are being forged. Is it true? Is it true? Can you feel it? Were you forged this past week? If you felt it, say yes. yes. When we think about this forging process, I'm curious. When you watch that bumper this morning, what captivates your mind? Is it the, the hammer? Is it the heat of the fire? What's your attention drawn towards? Is it the anvil? This anvil that needs to be secure in place, not budging an inch, not an ounce, so that every strike can have and fulfill its intended purpose? Um... Each time I watch that, each time I think about the forging process, um, it's the process itself that begins to captivate me. You know, at first glance, it kind of feels almost random, right? It almost feels a little reckless, like just just heat up the fire, uh, get something, just get something super hot. And uh, if it gets super, if you get it hot enough, you just lay it on this thing here, and you just you just start hammering away. And you know, it's probably just a feel to this. You know, there's just a sense to where forging, in a lot of respects, can feel super random and super reckless. But the more I've talked to people who actually engage in the craft, and the more The deeper we get into the study, the more uh, precision I've recognized is required in it all. The forge itself, where the fire is lit, as hot as 3,000 degrees. Steel being placed in the fire. Having to reach, having to go beyond the recrystallization temperature so that when you actually pull it out and you hammer it, it actually does what you want it to do. Think about the precision of this. Too hot and it melts. Too cold, nothing. Think about the hammer swing. Hard enough to do what you intend to be done, but but not so hard uh, that you go beyond the point that you're trying the precision that is necessary. There is, this is neither random, friends, nor is it reckless, this process of forging Last week, I had the, the privilege of talking um, to the person who owns this anvil. Um, Chris Marsh here at our church is actually a, a farrier. A farrier is someone who actually engages in the, in the craft of measuring and fitting and shoeing horses, and even in the brief conversation that we had, he told me how a farrier has to like come close, right? They got to get near the horse. They got to come down. They got to measure and they've got to make sure that it fits and they would, they would come and measure and then they would come back then to the anvil. They would hammer some more. Maybe they would go back to the horse again. They would hammer some more, friends. This is what I want you to, I want you to capture today as it pertains to forging is the precision in all of this. When we say that the Lord is forging you, What I want you to catch is this our God is personally, He is purposefully, He is lovingly, He is forcefully, intricately, beautifully, and sometimes even it may feel is brutally a word? He's forging and he's shaping us for his purpose. God's forging is precise. The temperatures are on the dot. The swings of the hammer are just as he intends them to be. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we all know it. If you've been around the church any length of time, uh, student ministry, you've heard it quoted to you over and over and over again. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You are indeed, you are indeed his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He is working on you and he's working in you and he's forging you so that you can prepare, you can be prepared to do the good works that he has intended for you to do. He has them prepared in advance before them to be accomplished upon the anvil we must lay. And the thing I want you to notice about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is the word we. Say we. 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 We are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. Who is his workmanship? Say me. But who else is his workmanship? Say we. We are his workmanship. You see, the thing that I want us to capture today in The text of 1 Peter is this. We are being forged. God is forging us individually, but today is essential that we walk away realizing that he's also forging us collectively. When God forges one of us, it's to galvanize all of us. Let me say it again. When God forges one of us, it's to galvanize all of us. When one member of the body suffers, all the members suffer with it. When one member of the body rejoices, all of the other members of the body also rejoice. When God is forging one of us, which by the way, he doesn't forge one at a time, but although he forges individually, when, when we see another, one of our brothers or sisters in the house being forged, know this, God's got a call on your life in response to the forging that you see. There are no bystanders in the forging process. Oh yes, God is doing the forging, but as the forging is being done, each and every one of us have a role in our brother and sister's forging. God is forging us. God is forging us. God is forging us together like like links in a chain. We're being forged together. Each link, if you were to look closely, is unique, yet essentially the same. In preparation for um, the message this week, I was... um, doing a little research on how chains are forged and how a, a blacksmith will literally forge one of these links at a time. And he will come and there's a little hole in the anvil where you would place it and he would then hammer it over and then he would come and then he would take another link and he would forge one link at a time, each unique, each intricate. And then I think there's something in the midst of all of this imagery. He would, he would then forge them in links of three. And then he would get a whole pile of triplet coupled links. And then when he was ready to do it, he would then put the whole chain together. God is forging us. God is forging us. God is forging us together. Why? Because we are stronger together. Sound familiar? What is our theme this year, church? Say stronger together. What's our theme? Stronger together. And so this forging process is actually making you individually stronger. But as you're being forged, know this. God's not just working in your life. He's working in all of our lives as he's forging you. And you see where I come from, where I come from. Chains, uh, chains are a big deal. I'm from western Pennsylvania. Uh, the sticks. Now, I'm not just from Altoona. Like, I'm, I'm from like the outskirts of Altoona, all right? Like... Like, my mobile home was on the side of the mountain, all right? And um, where I come from, we got, we got four-wheel drives and we got mud bugs. And um, you basically buy your truck according to the size of the, of, the, of the mud puddles that are on the way to your house, okay? And so the thing about where I grew up is, like, a man is literally measured by the strength of his chain. And if you want to have any types of fun at all, where I come from, it usually involves your pickup truck or your ATV, and then you never, ever, ever leave home without what? You never leave home without your, where'd I put it? Oh, well, here it is. You never leave home without your toe chain. You don't leave home without your toe chain. And here's the other thing, depending on the size of the, of the trail in which you're going, you don't leave home without your chain of friends either. The reality is this, bungee cords are cool, ratchet straps are better, but there is nothing like a tow chain to get your buddy out the ditch, all right? And so come on, friends, I think you know where this is going. I think you, I think you understand the point that we're making here. The Lord is forging us together. Why? So that we can pull, when we trust in him, we can pull anyone out of any ditch, When we rely on the strength of the Lord and his power, there is no mud hole that you can't be pulled out of. If you believe that, just say amen. Amen. How deep's your mud hole? But you know what they say? A chain is only as strong as what? A chain is only as strong as what? Yeah, it's weakest link. We start talking about weakest links at church. Anyone get nervous? Anyone ever feel like um, that might be you? Like our church is only as strong as its weakest link, and you're like, "Well, peace." We can pull each each other out of any trial just so long as we're strong in the Lord and the toe chain is working together and we can tug and we can pull and you're sitting there going, well, if that's the case, you can, well, um, count on, you can count on me. Friends, if you feel weak, if you sit through a sermon like, hey, we're, we're, we're stronger together and we need each other, and so your responsibility is to kind of buck up and get strong because other people are counting on you. How many, how many of you feel like, how many can feel the weight of that right now? This is what church is all about. Buck up because you're needed, and it's not about you, and the person beside you needs you. And so if you're failing, just know you're failing everybody. That's, that's a great sermon, Pastor. Awesome. How many sermons like that have you sat through? if you're feeling weak today, you're not alone. If you're feeling weak today, not alone. If you're feeling weak today, hear me, you are not alone. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling run down, if you're feeling as if you've been run over, if you feel like your toe chain is about to break, hear me, you're not alone. But here's the deal. You got to pull a number and get in line. If you're feeling tired and weary, pull a number and get in line because I'm just here to tell you that just about every link in this chain is holding on by a, a brink. That in and of ourselves, every link is weak. If you're feeling weak, pull a number and just understand this. According to Peter and Paul, you'll be behind them in the line. You think Peter felt weak when he denied Jesus three times? You think the Apostle Paul was literally writing rhetorical language when he said, I see myself as the chief of sinners? You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. What makes us strong, what's going to enable these links to actually do what I believe the Lord has created them to do is for us all to realize here and now, there's not one of us worthy of calling ourselves strong in this link apart from Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. And so today, if you're here and you're feeling a little weak in the weld. Hear it again, when God forges one of us, He forges all of us. His forging is always to strengthen us toward unity. And so, if you're willing to lean in and learn what it looks like to be forged, strengthened, unified in the Lord through this forging process, just say, I'm in. 1 Peter chapter 1, take a look at the text. We've already learned that we are chosen by God. Our hope is in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We've already learned last week that we are holy. And now in light of this holiness, Peter writes this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. Listen, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. And this word is good news that is preached to you. So now then put away, put away all malice and put away all deceit and put away all hypocrisy and envy and slander. Listen, instead, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it, you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This is God's word. And as we read God's word this morning, what I believe Peter is saying to us is this. When we are feeling forged, when, we are out, when the fire is hot and we're laid upon this anvil that is sure, when we feel it coming on us, what we need more than anything is to lean in for the love of our spiritual family. When you're being forged, what we need is a spiritual family. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Sincere brotherly love. Now look, we've been learning that we are elect exiles. Uh, By the word elect, what have we said? The word elect here means what? We are chosen children of God. If you're a child of God, what does that make God to you? Your father. You're an elect exile though. What's an exile? We've learned this, an, an exile is a sojourner who is being forged in a world that is not your home. You feel that? We learned last we learned we learned in verse 3 that we became his child by being reborn we were reborn through the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then we learned this this rebirth this rebirth has led us to be pronounced holy in the sight of the Lord and now this forging process is sanctifying us so that we can experience practically the holiness that God has already said is true of us positionally in Jesus And so Peter has laid out for us this foundation that you are a holy child of God. You shall be holy as your God is holy. You now bear his nature, 2 Peter 1.4. You are now partakers of God's divine nature. Selah, pause, just think about that. But now here again in verse 22 of chapter 1, we see another result of this rebirth. you've been born again, you've been born again, you've been born again. That sounds like old school church, doesn't it? It sounds like old school, uh, old school, like fundamental. When I hear born again, I just hear it in the voice of Billy Graham. Am I the only one? Born again, born again. We learned last week how being born again, let me say it again, makes God our father. We are literally born, reborn spiritually. Just like we have the attributes of our physical father, now being reborn, we have the attributes of our spiritual father. And so, here's the deal. If God is your father, raise your hand. Raise your hand if God, if you, if you just know that God's your father, if you're not raising your hand, don't feel awkward, but look, but now look around. No, 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 look, look around. Look, 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 look around. Okay, put your, put your hand down. Ross, God's your father? Mine too. Tom, he's your, God's your father? Yo. Steph. God's, God's your father, and so, um, Heidi, did you have your, God's your father, and, and Matt, too? So, so, wait, if God's your father, and, and God's my father, and, and you guys are raising your hands, too, what does that make all of us in this room? What is it? Come on, somebody say, say siblings. siblings. All right, so look at your neighbor neighbors. Say, what's up, sis? What's up, bro? Go ahead, somebody. Do you see it? You've been reborn and now you're in a family. Just as our rebirth gives us family, so now does God's holiness give us harmony. Your rebirth gets you into the family. God's attributes of holiness gives us harmony inside the deal. And so, as you've been as you've been made holy through your obedience to the truth, love one another with a brotherly love. Because after all, y'all were related spiritually in Jesus. All right. But here's the deal. Come on, don't just read the verses passively. Read them actively. How in the world did we become siblings again? How in the world. How the world did did Peter saying this went down? Look at verse 22 again. Having purified your own souls. Pop quiz. Pop quiz. Don't just read the Bible. Read the Bible and think about the Bible. Who in this room legitimately believes that you have the ability to make yourself Holy, like you have the ability in your flesh to purify yourself. I'm gonna trip over that, am I not? (laughs) Having purified your souls. Well, how does that work? We'll look at the text. Next question, how does that work? By your obedience to the truth. Woo, I've sat through some sermons that'll apply that a certain way. Open your Bible and do it. Open your Bible and stop it. Read another verse and do it. Be holy. Read another verse and stop it. Anybody, anybody, anybody lived on that carousel? You make yourself holy just by obeying the word. So buck up and obey. Really? Really? Is that how it works? What's Peter saying here? This is so important, friends. We misapply this. We misapply this. We, we rip the heart rate out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we misapply this, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves able and capable, believing that somehow we have the power to sanctify ourselves. Oh, there is a truth that purifies Oh, there is a truth that saves. There is a truth that brings rebirth. There is a truth that makes us family. There is a truth that indeed does do all that Peter is claiming to be done here. But what is that truth, friends? You and I both know what it is. What, what, truth, what truth has the power to bring you to new life? Somebody say the gospel. What truth is it? It's the gospel. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's ob- and look at what it says. It's obedience to the gospel. Here's what Peter's saying. We are made holy through our initial obedience to the gospel. You remember the first time you obeyed the gospel? The first time you agreed with God in the gospel? The first time you recognized you were a sinner and needed the gospel? Not the first time you recited a prayer, by the way. I'm asking about the first time you recognized that you really truly were a sinner who needed to bow your knee and obey the gospel of Jesus and submit yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation comes, hear it, when we obediently respond to the gospel. The word obedience here means to submit in agreement. To submit in agreement, to agree in submission, to submit in agreement, to agree in submission. And here, friends, we have to embrace the theological tension of what? What do we see here? Is there an action in this sentence? There sure is. Who's doing the acting? Raise your hand. It's you. It's me. We are the ones who what? We're being called to obedience, to submission to the gospel. And so now all of a sudden introduced the theological tightrope that we all must walk across, which is the sovereign elective choosing of God and man's personal responsibility in the saving. Both of them exist within the scriptures. If you've been around Mission Church any length of time, you're going to hear us talk about God's sovereignty and his choosing and his electing power and how that's an act of love and security, but you're also at some point in every sermon going to hear a call for a response and you have to ask yourself, how do these two tensions exist? Perfectly, that's how. And so we need to review this so we don't get things out of skew. Does God do the electing? Yes. Are you elect? If you're saved, you are. Not only are you elect, you're an elect exile after all, are you not? Who does the electing? God does the electing. Who caused you to be born again? God caused you to be born again. Romans 8.30, as a matter of fact, says this, God God predestined you, God called you, God justifies you, God also glorifies you. There is no doubt that God is the initiator, God is the saver, God is the one who is doing the saving, but what's our response? What is our act in all of this? Responding. Here's the deal. God always does the saving. God always does the saving. Every salvation though, listen, every salvation is substantiated by a personal confession of obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's saying. Why is the confession crucial? Because you have personal responsibility. And with every confession, it is substantiated that God is at work in your life. Who is saved? Acts says, those who call upon the name of the Lord, Acts 2, 21, who is saved, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And some of y'all come from Baptist backgrounds, a lot like mine, fundamentals, like, "I, I really, I like that verse because it's very motivational, but pastor, I struggle with it because it doesn't have this point, this point, this point, this point, and this point in it. And if you just call upon the name of the Lord, are people really saved? Is that verse really true? It's in your Bible, so you wrestle with it. How in the world does it say, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? And it doesn't have the 15 sub points that I make sure every person prays when they pray with me to accept Jesus. How in the world does that work? What? Come on, church, this is like, this is really important. Like, you understand like churches can split over like how much you got to pray to get saved. What are we confessing? What are we believing here? Romans chapter 10. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Listen, listen. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and then he is saved. The word confess here means to obediently agree. Sound familiar? When you confess, you're obediently agreeing. You're saying, God, I agree. God, I agree. And because I believe it, I'm going to heed it, but I need your strength. To confess means to obediently agree. It doesn't simply mean to to recite words, certain words, a certain way, like a magic code that unlocks an eternal door that you get to pass through. Salvation does not come just by saying a prayer and repeating after the pastor. Salvation does not come just by confessing and saying things a certain way. Where does salvation come from? Full, full belief. Where does full belief come from? It's a gift from the Lord. What, is it, what, is, what does Ephesians chapter two say? For by grace, for by grace, you shall be saved through, somebody tell me the next word, you shall be saved through, say it, faith. faith. It's your faith that saves you. Your confession is a confirmation and an affirmation of that which you believe in your heart. It's not just saying things because you don't want to go to hell. It's saying things with your mouth that you actually believe in your heart. And if you say something and you confess something and you don't actually believe it, you don't get to pass go and you don't get to collect 200 spiritual dollars. But here, like, the pastor needs to pause and he needs to calm down because that can create a lot of dissonance in the room. Because we all have moments of doubt. And I'm, I'm inclined to believe that Every one of you that raised your hands probably said a prayer. The prayer is good. The prayer is needed. The prayer is right. But I don't want you to put your hope in the prayer. Your hope needs to be in Jesus, the one whom you prayed to. Your hope needs to be in the truth that Jesus actually is the Son of God, came, lived a perfect life, died a painful death, was buried and rose again three days later. You, you, you need to, your, your faith and your hope is firmly planted on this foundation that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, reigning on high, will come again to judge the living and the dead, at which time you will be pronounced as forgiven, holy, clean, and we shall then reign with him as his family forevermore. That's your hope. Say amen. That's our hope. That's our hope. And it's this truth, it's this confession, it's this truth that we obediently respond to and confess that has made you and I family. This is the thing that's holding us together. This is what allows weak weak links to be strong. Peter's saying it's the gospel that binds us together as family. It's obedience to the gospel that also then empowers us. Look at the text. That when we are being forged, when others are in need, it's the gospel unity that allows us to love each other sincerely and earnestly. And when the forge is hot, I need the other links in this chain. When the hammer's coming down, When I'm feeling weak, when we're feeling weak, we don't need each other's pity. We need each other's sincerity. Like genuine love, we mean it when we say it. It's a joke around here with some of you that I won't ask you how you're doing on Sunday morning. You know why? I won't ask you how you're doing on Sunday morning. Why? Because I don't have time to listen and hear your response. How you're doing is not a way to say good morning. Now, I'll say good morning because that's what I have time to do. And after the service and you come forward, and you have something, then we say, what? How are you doing? And how can we pray? And how can we respond? And how can we go to the Lord on your behalf? You see, we need the kind of love that's sincere. We need the kind of love that pauses. We need the kind of love that's honest about our margins and our time. We need the kind of love that when people come in our presence, look, 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 I can't can't be with everyone all the time, but this is my assurance that when you're with me, with all of my might, I'm going to give you all my attention in that moment. Like that's the kind of love that makes a difference. I can't give you all of my time, but I can give you all of me in the time that I have when we're together. It's that kind of sincerity that holds us together and keeps us from walking away going, psh, there it is again. Like he said hello to me and was looking right over my head. Looking for the next influential person in the church to say hi to. When we are being forged, we need sincerity. We gotta let go of the fakeness. Have you been around people who are fake have you gone to church and felt fake? Dumb question. The better question is have you ever been the fake one? Oh yeah. Certain Sundays let's like by a thread. But you step up and you be obedient. And you do what God's asking you to do. And you throw a pity party in the back of your mind. You get through the morning and we go home. Sincerity. Sincerity. Psalm 55 talks to us, shares with us what a hypocritical person looks like. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn as swords. When the forging is on, we need sincerity. We need real people. When when the forging is on and we can't take another step, we're not sure if we have another breath. We need people to love us earnestly. The word earnest here literally is an athletic term. It means to like run hard. When we can't take another step, we need somebody to step towards us. That's what it's saying. When you can't take another breath, you need someone to speak words of life, to breathe words of life into your frame. Gospel love sincerely runs towards others in their time of need. And friends, we get this. In times of need, it can be super awkward. You don't want to have the conversation. You don't want to have the meeting. You don't want to speak the next sentence. You don't want to have to actually walk this path. You want to kind of pretend like it's not really happening. It's not really going on. Let's just walk and just just move ahead. Just keep looking ahead and just not. When we are being forged, we have to acknowledge what's happening in front of us and earnestly fight for the unity that keeps us together. It's work. It's so much more than emotion. And most of the time, it's actually my emotions that I have to fight through to actually earnestly love someone the way I'm supposed to. If I treated you the way that I feel, if you treated me the way that you feel, if I treated my family the way that I feel sometimes, I need earnestness. We're a family. We're a family. <laughs> not even because we want to be, but just because we are. We're a family. The Lord says we're a family of families. It's a big old family. This is a big old family. This is only, this is, not even, this is not even half the family. The other half's in the children's wing right now. Okay, this is only a quarter of the family. The other quarter's in the children's wing. Next hour will be the other quarter and the other quarter, right? It's a big old family. How do you sincerely love this many people? How do you earnestly love this many people? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that's also why small group ministry in this church is so incredibly important. That's why you need to be known. Don't just come in on Sunday mornings and slip back out. But if, if that's the season where you're at, God, God, God will have God will allow you to come and to hear his word and be refreshed. Great patience and grace applied to that. But ultimately the goal is what? For you to be known for you to be known by God and his people, for you to be loved on. And so small group ministry allows for us to sit across from one another and share how the Lord is working in our lives so that we can experience sincerity and at times, earnestness. I can drive people nuts because I saw you flinch in your prayer request and I just want to make sure you're okay. earnest. We're being called to love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 12. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful. Don't be slow in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient with each other in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Again, look around. This is your family. Indeed, it is a big old family, but we are bound in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't like big families, heaven is going to be super awkward for you. And so we've got to get used to being forged together. We've got to get used to loving each other. We've got to get used. We've got to get used. That's so Altoona. We've got to get used. We've got to get used to being forged because we're going to be forever for all of eternity, and that's Peter's next point. Look, look, look. Verse 22. Since you, like you can love each other sincerely, you can love each other earnestly. Why? Because the gospel, you've been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's transformed you. It is now bound you. Now watch. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. What is Peter saying? Your salvation, your love, and your unity is as timeless as the gospel itself. And when we are being forged, family, when we're being forged, we need to lovingly look to one another. And then this loving family, what's going to carry us through is that we begin to lean on the scriptures of God. The gospel is uniting us, but it's the scriptures of God that actually hold us and drive us forward. That will be the principles that they, with, they hold the principles that enable us to make it through the forging. You see, here's the deal. When I'm weak and when I'm hurting, I need you to remind me of what I believe. When I start to doubt, I need you to remind me. Peter says our unity and our strength resides, do you see it? It resides in a seed. What a fascinating illustration. Your unity, your strength, your inseparable bond resides in something as simple as a seed. But not just any seed. He says, your bond resides in an imperishable seed. What's the seed? It's the gospel. I want you to think about this. I think think about what's in the think about what's in a seed. The full power, code, if you will. And purpose. Everything needed once water and sunlight is applied for this to become a raging tree, is already all here. And what he's saying is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ, when that seed is planted inside your soul, when that seed takes root, what happens? Just like a A seed becomes a sapling, and a sapling over time grows into a strong tree. When these seeds are planted in all of our hearts, what happens? Just as multiple seeds become a forest, so too does the church become a binding forest that can sway with the trials and the winds and the forging that comes in life. You have one tree stand alone. No matter how big it is, it is susceptible. But you plant that same tree in a forest, we can survive. And Peter's saying you've been forged and you're being forged together. This unity that you have is now in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an imperishable seed and this bond is as strong and as everlasting as the gospel itself. The difference between us and a seed though is what? When the oldest forest has passed away, The spiritual forest of Christ will remain. Because we've been born from an imperishable, from an imperishable, from an everlasting seed, from the gospel, the gospel that's bound, the text says, that is bound in the Word of God, the abiding, living Word of God, verse 23. Our unity is planted. Our unity is growing. Our unity is ultimately galvanized. Galvanized being held together firmly. Galvanized forevermore is being held together. Verse 23, through the living, abiding word of God. And so in other words, friends, we are forged in the truth. And when we're being forged, we've got to turn to the truth. And so I need you to tell me the truth. I need you to tell me the truth. I need you to tell me that I'm a child of God. Would you tell me right now, would you say you're a child of God? Tell me. Remind me that I've been reborn. Tell me. Tell me Tell me that my God will not leave me. Tell me. Tell me he won't forsake me. Tell me this forging is for a purpose. We need to tell each other the truth. We need to be there. We need to be vocal. We need arms around. The truth forges. Does the truth hurt? Yes. But it also heals. Can the truth divide? 100%. But the truth also galvanizes and unifies those who truly love and believe the gospel. The truth, the truth, the truth is never intended to crush us. It's intended to forge us. It renews us. It refines us. And then as the text goes on, I am so moved by what Peter says because he wants to make it abundantly clear that we are unified in truth. We're not unified in a logo. We're not unified by a slogan. We're not unified by the style of our music. We're not unified by a methodology or philosophy of ministry. We're not unified by any of the secondary, tertiary, and periphery things that churches can get locked in on. Look at what he says. This is Peter, by the way. Like Peter, the Peter. All flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is Peter. This is walk, talk, work with Jesus, Peter. This is, hey, Peter, here's the keys. This is Peter who planted seeds and 3,000 people got saved the day of Pentecost. This is Peter who got to lead the charge of initially unlocking the gospel across the landscape of the first century. This is Peter. Peter This is Peter who many people believe Was the first in a long line of apostolic secession. And what does Peter make abundantly clear? We're united by the Word. We're united in the Word. We're united in the Word. What does he do here? He quotes. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, and he is making this point. The church is unified in the gospel. The church is unified on truth, not on him or any other man. When you think about the context here, this is so incredibly important. Why is Peter writing? Because the church is being forged. Why is Peter writing? Because persecution is mounting. Why is Peter writing? Because martyrdom is right around the corner. And what is he saying to the church? We're willing to give our lives for this. And indeed, Peter and the other apostles will give their lives. There's going to come a day when I won't be here. Your elders won't be here. The next generation will come. And what Peter's making abundantly clear is this. That's okay. And not only is it okay, it's good. Because here's the deal. All flesh is like grass. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We come, people live, and people die. People come, we breathe, we seek to serve the Lord, and then we're gone. We come, we do our best, we, try, we strive after the gospel, we, lay the, we plant the seeds that God's called us to plant, we reap the soil that God's called us to reap, and then what do we do? We die. People are born, they live their lives, and they bloom like flowers. And it's a beautiful thing. But then they're gone. Peter is soon going to be gone. And it's not about the next man who takes his place. Because the grass withers and the flower fades. The Sola Scriptura, the Word of the Lord endures forever. The Word of the Lord endures forever. The Word of the Lord is what endures forever. The Word of the Lord is what unites us. The Word of the Lord is what strengthens us. The Word of the Lord is what fords us. The Word of the Lord is what binds us. No one man, no one voice, no one message. It is just Jesus Christ and His binding Word that brings us together. We are not united in flesh. We're not united merely in a voice. We are united in spirit. We're united in the word of God. And while, and while we don't rally around any one preacher, we absolutely rally around that which is being preached. Somebody say amen. So no matter who stands here, no matter who leads your small group, what matters is the message that's coming off their lips. That's what unites us. What you've given your life to is what unites us. What's driving you to wake up tomorrow and go to work is what, is what unites us. What's enabling you to hang in with into your marriage right now, even while you're not happy, but you know for a fact that Jesus Christ has called you, he's empowering you, he's gonna see you through, that's what unites us. Even though you're ticked off like mad at that person across the room. You know why you can't? You know why? You know what? You know what? Heaven. Heaven's coming. The word of the Lord is greater. The word of the Lord is stronger. What does it have the power to do? Sanctify us. <laughs> we gotta we gotta love. We've got to look, We've got to, we need the love. We need to love one another. We need to lean into God's word. And now finally this, what does God's word do? It sanctifies us. We need to long for its sanctifying work to be done in our lives. This is what protects our unity, God's sanctification of us. You see, when God forges us, when God forges one of us, he's galvanizing all of us. Have you heard that recently? <laughs> when God forges one of us, he's galvanizing all of us. When that forge gets hot, you know, what, you know what he's doing? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. When that forge gets hot, what's he doing? He's burning it off. He's burning off all, all that separates us and all that, tr- all that challenges our unity. Things like deceit. You ever break a relationship off because you've been lied to? I get it. Malice, hypocrisy. Who hasn't walked away or been tempted to walk away from the things of God because of hypocrisy? Envy. Slander. I don't know if it's true, but I heard. You know, if that's true, if that's true, if that's true, God burns it off. God burns it off. You feeling weak? What's, what's placed in its place? When all of that's burned off, look what, look what it's replaced with. I was so longing to protect myself, I would lie. I was so longing to protect myself, I was putting on the false face of hypocrisy. I was so longing and so self-consumed, it was all about me, and I was envious of everybody. I I was so consumed with me, I would rip any person down. Just say the word. I'm not afraid to slander anyone. But now, all of a sudden, all of that is replaced with another longing. A new appetite is born inside of you that's going to forge us in unity. Look at what the text says. As infants, as infants long for pure spiritual milk. I used to feed myself with all the desires of my flesh, but now I can't get enough of milk. Anyone feel weak? How weak do you feel? Anyone here feel infant weak? You know the strongest part of a, of a baby? What's the strongest part of a baby? I would contend it, to be corrected later is its appetite and its longing. A baby wants what it wants, <laughs> and it wants it now. A baby wants what it wants, and it's going to cry until it gets it. One longing, one longing, one longing, one appetite, one thing that it wants. You know what happens as we get older? You know what ends up happening? Our appetite broadens, doesn't it? And all of a sudden we taste other things and they taste good. And all of a sudden that one thing that I just had to have is now secondary. I don't even think about it anymore because I have all these other tastes at my disposal that haven't actually feel pretty good upon my appetite. And what the, what Peter is saying is this, we, when we are saved, we are weak, we go back to having one longing, one strength within us. This is what's going to make us strong and unified, one desire. God, I have one appetite. It is you. It is your truth. It is your word. And I can't get enough. And I can't get enough. And I can't get enough. And I'm going to cry out because I want more. And I want more. And I need more. And look at what he says. You'll taste, you'll taste, you'll taste. And when you taste, what will you see? You'll taste and see that the Lord is good. You feeling weak? God's word to you is this, my grace is sufficient for you. God's word to you is his power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul wrote this, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness, my insults, my hardships, my persecutions, my calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's in my weakness that I need to feed my longing for God's word. Peter had to have been meditating on Psalm 33 when he wrote this. Listen, I will bless the Lord at all times. In the midst of my forging, his praise shall continually be on my lips. My soul boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, all of you peoples that's come together and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him will be radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, And the Lord heard and he saved me out of all of my troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and worship him. He delivers them. Now listen, listen, listen. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge and finds refuge in him. When God forges one of us, it's to galvanize all of us. I need you. I need you to tell me what God says. I need, you to show me. I need you to show me what God does. And I need you to sing with me. Because it's off the lips and the praises of God's people that we once again are reminded... And we're able to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, Father, would you help us even now to taste, to see, Lord God, to be reminded of your goodness to us. Father, would you galvanize us? Would you unite us? Would you give us a bond that is inseparable, Lord? Would you make it so plain and clear today? And Father, in this moment, if there's anything that needs to be dealt with with you, God, would you have it be done? God, if there's a spirit of disunity in any way, shape, form, or fashion, help us to do the hard thing and press on and press through. Father, we believe in the power of the gospel and its ability to to forge us and unite us. Father, we believe in your word and we know that your word is powerful and capable, Lord God, to show us what we need to do next. And oh, Lord God, burn it off. Eradicate the pride that dwells, that wells up within us day by day, moment by moment. Friend, right where you are, If you would, take the time to do business with the Lord. If there's something that needs to be burned off, ask the Lord to burn it off. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you. If there's someone the Lord has laid on your heart right now, pray for them by name in your own heart. Ask the Lord how you could minister to them in their time of need. All of us indeed, let us thank the Lord for his forging work, for the forging work of the gospel that's happened inside of our hearts that have made us family, that have made made us his children. And friend, if you're here today, you've already heard it. This is not a repeat after me, but if you've never trusted in the Lord, if you've never believed in your heart, if you've never confessed, cry out to him now. Tell him you long to believe. Ask him for the faith to believe. His son Jesus came to this earth, died on a cross for you. He was buried and he rose again. He reigns in heaven offering eternal life to those who believe. Belief. Father, thank you for your goodness among us. We want to sing of your goodness now, God. Receive it as an act of worship and praise we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us now?